Good morning. I'm Jonathan, I'm the community and discipleship pastor here, and I'm so glad to be with you. Happy Mother's Day to all of you, especially my bride, Stephanie, and, uh, and morning to all of you online. Happy Mother's Day, and especially to you, Mom. Hi, Mom. See you about 3 p.m. Uh, yeah, so we're in the third week uh, today of a series called Your Work Matters, where we've been talking uh, about work. It's a series that kind of launched out of Genesis as many of the major themes of the Bible do and trying to understand what is work's place in our life and how does God want to be a part of it. And I want to bring us back to a definition that we started with last week that I think is really helpful, a biblical definition of work given to us by Tom Nelson and it's different than how most people usually talk about work when they say work. This is what he says. At work, whether paid or unpaid, includes all meaningful and moral activity apart from leisure and rest. Work is fundamentally about contribution, not compensation, adding value to others. I especially love how this biblical definition um, lands on Mother's Day. So let's talk about work. Uh, Going back many centuries during the 16th century, Uh, was the Reformation, uh, where these people were challenging the authority and teachings of the Catholic Church, and there's many major conversations, theological ones happening at this time, but one of them was about work. And modern uh, Anglican author Tish Warren, looking back at this, she speaks to this and gives us some insight, and this is what she said, that we often understand the Protestant Reformation as a conflict about doctrine, justification, grace versus works, ecclesiology, indulgences, And it was, but what captured the imagination of the commoners in Europe during the Reformation was not only the finer points of doctrine, but the earthy notion of vocation. The idea that all good work is holy work was revolutionary. The Reformation toppled a vocational hierarchy that had placed monks, nuns, and priests at the top and everyone else below. The reformers taught that a farmer may worship God by being a good farmer and that a parent changing diapers could be as near to Jesus as the Pope. This was a scandal. Now thinking uh, about my own work um, in terms of my paid vocational stuff, I've only actually ever worked for two places. Five Oaks Church for the last 17 years and Cub Foods the seven years before that. Cub Foods was my first job. My first day was on the, the day I got my driver's license. I was serving on the clean team, getting six and a quarter an hour. And it basically consisted of two kinds of work. Inside, one hour, cleaning up the floors or responding to spills. And then outside, one hour, grabbing carts and bringing them in. So if you've ever been in a public bathroom that was not a good situation, you can appreciate the work that I did. If you've ever gone into a grocery store and not had a cart to grab, you can appreciate the work that I did. But I think... Um, It's much easier for us many times to see when work has not been done and be upset about it than it is to be thankful when it has been done. And it's sometimes as if we don't even realize work has been done or it just kind of mysteriously or magically happens. And I want to highlight that idea uh, with this short video. Did you say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember. (laughs) What? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. 
I've been at work too, you know. And what now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on. And you know what? I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not hey, me. Hey, 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 relax. It's going to be all right. How? Here, I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow the next day they're just clean, folded and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either, but it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you, I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it, you'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Now I think it's a pretty extreme example, but uh, I think we recognize sometimes we can devalue work or not recognize when work has been done. And then you add this other layer, when we're talking about the Reformation, a, a, a layer of jobs, particularly religious jobs of priest, nun, monk, et cetera, that are of this higher importance. And this could leave many, if not most people, their work is less important in the eyes of God or maybe you're not even recognized or seen by people. And so let's ask, is, is this scandal true? Can a good farmer or parent changing diapers have the importance, meaning, and worship equal to the Pope? Now, whether you're here today, if you are Christian or you're just exploring Jesus, I think we all can grasp the idea that most people treat work in kind of two extremes. And one of them is devaluing work as unimportant. And the other one is, overvaluing work as most important, making it supremely important, these two extremes. And to highlight kind of these examples and some famous movies, devaluing, there's George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, he's the banker at the Bailey Building and Loan. He's wanting to see the world and build great things. He needs a suitcase at least this big. And he saw the work at staying in Bedford Falls, staying at the bank as unimportant, not big enough even to the point where he offends his father in a conversation about it. Or you maybe take the other end of the spectrum, I always think of this movie from the 90s right here in Minnesota, Howard from Jingle All the Way, you know, he's always telling his son Jamie, you know, I'll be there this time, you know, I'll make it up to you, I promise. But to the point where his son, you know, Anakin Skywalker is like saying, hey, you'd never keep your promises. Um, some insider stuff there. But anyway, <laughs> making work more important than everything. That's what he's doing. And I think we've all felt glimpses of this in our own life, whether in us or in those around us. And so if you're here today and you think your work is not important or not as important as others, or you think it's only to the extent that it helps you make money or the work you do is only to help someone else make money, God has some plans for you today. So we're gonna be looking at a passage of scripture that helps us rethink our work and reimagine how God is present in the work that we do. And so because we believe the Bible and your purpose in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery, we open our Bibles together every time we gather. And I wanna invite you to do that right now. We're gonna be uh, in Mark chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. We'll be on page 1007. 
But before we read the text, uh, we need to pray and ask God to help us understand and illuminate the scriptures to us um, as we read it. And so I want to invite you to pray this prayer uh, with me aloud this morning. Heavenly Father, by the Spirit and in the name of the Son, help us so to hear your word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow your way in all faithfulness, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's now read the scriptures, uh, chapter six, starting in verse one. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now in the middle, it said, isn't this the carpenter? There are only two times in scripture where Jesus could be identified as a carpenter, and this is one of them. The other one is in Matthew. But think about it. Did you know Jesus spent more time woodworking, crafting, and building than he did preaching the kingdom of God? Was that wasted time? Shouldn't Jesus have been doing the stuff he did at 30-year-old and doing it earlier in his life? I mean, we know he was capable of doing it since he was 12. But here's the thing, Jesus neither devalued the work of carpentry as unimportant, nor valued that work more than his heavenly father in his life. See, work forms us, work shapes us, and prepares us for continuing the work that we have, or preparing us for other work God has prepared in advance for us. So, what I wanna put forward is I think because of Jesus' work as a carpenter, there is hope that your work is important. There's hope that your work is important. Actually, it shows us your work is important. I mean, think about it. Jesus spent 18 plus of his 33 years training to be and working as a carpenter. If the God of the universe spent this much time on earth doing this, this brings immense value and importance to the work that you do. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus could have had the job you have. Jesus could have had the job you have. Dallas Willard, famous Christian author, um, he teases out this idea for us to help us think about it. Uh, if he were to come today, as he did then, he could carry out his mission through most any decent and useful occupation. He could be a clerk or accountant in a hardware store, a computer repairman, a banker, an editor, doctor, waiter, teacher, farm hand, lab technician, or construction worker. He could run a house cleaning service or repair automobiles. In other words, if he were to come today, he could very well do what you do. He could very well live in your apartment or house, hold down your job, have your education and life prospects, and live within your family surroundings and time. None of this would be the least hindrance to the eternal kind of life that was his by nature and becomes available to us through him. Your work is important. 
Jesus could have done, the work you do. And actually going back uh, to the Reformation and kind of recapturing this idea of work can be um, super helpful as Martin Luther was talking and looking to scripture and even the, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And he's saying, do you understand what's involved with this? And he, he starts, I'll put the ending part on the screen, but he instructed his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, consider how many people and jobs are involved in God answering that one prayer. And this is what he said. He goes, there is a farmer who plants and waters and harvests grain. There's a miller who grinds the grain into flour. There's someone who produces oil. There's someone who transports the materials. There's a baker. There's a grocer who sells the bread. All of these people, as they do their jobs, are contributing to the answering of this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. You see, it's not the work you do so that you can do some other type of real work. The work you do is part of the real work. Your work is important. It's worship to God. But with most things, there's also uh, an equal and opposite danger of making it most important, overly important. You know, the danger is whenever work or whatever it is becomes most important and becomes the object of our worship. Because remember, we're shaped into the image of whatever we make most important. And so, you know, whether or not you have, or someone here has given their life to Jesus, uh, I mean, I just ask you to think in your mind right now, what is the thing that's most important in your life? Can you, can you see how you might be being shaped into the image of that thing that's most important, a person, environment, the work, whatever it is? Now here's, here's the thing that you need to know is that the, everybody else who is in the room that's following Jesus still has to do this same examination and continue doing it. Following Jesus doesn't make it perfect and right. We're just redeemed, broken people. I continue have to try and follow Jesus and figure this out. But the thing is we, we know that we can't be with God and have God in our lives without the work that Jesus completed on the cross, that's the good news. It's impossible to be with God except through Jesus dying and rising again from the dead to make a possible way for us. And that's actually good news for every part of our life. Not just this one salvific moment, but he wants to be a part of everything going on in our life. And it's seemingly impossible that God could save us broken people, but he does. And it also seems in this passage here, because of Jesus' work in the town, there is help when your work is impossible. There's help when your work is impossible. Uh, have you ever looked at the work of uh, Michelangelo? I mean, most people are like, okay, I, famous artist, I, we've all heard of them. I mean, some of you are probably thinking about the Ninja Turtle. Um, that's not what we're talking about. But, uh, but think of his uh, statues, like the intricacy, the beauty, the craftsmanship. I see things like this and I go, that's impossible. How does someone do that? Um, it's crazy. But I, I love how Michelangelo talked about when he's asked what happens when he makes these statues. He says this, that the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. 
I mean, it just completely flips things on his head in my mind of he's not shaping the rock into the statue, he's revealing the statue within the rock. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come back to this idea in a little bit. Now, when talking about impossible work, there was, a, there was a video that came out years ago that came up with this job and put it, put it out. It was the world's toughest job and they advertised for it and then they did video interviews for it. And in the interview, were very clear about the expectations and everything required for the job and getting the interviewees real reactions to this insane job that that's there. And so I want us to watch this video for this, this fake job. Just give me one second. Thank sure. you, sorry. Uh-huh. Hey, hi. Two minutes. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon. Sorry about hey, that. Hey, Hi, nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Have you ever done one of these interviews over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job, it's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, uh, okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? Uh, 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, th is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, yeah. so like no lunch? You can or... have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Uh... I think that's a little intense. No. no not possible. That's crazy. Now, this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skill. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to wear several hats. Associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. In fact, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is gonna go up, and we demand that with, with a happy disposition. Uh, that's almost cruel. <laughs> that's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. Yeah, all-encompassing, all almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. Also, let's cover the salary. The position is going to pay absolutely nothing. Excuse me? No. Nobody's doing that for free. Yeah, pro bono. <laughs> Completely for free. No! What if I told you there's someone that actually currently uh, holds this position right now? Billions of people, actually. Who? Moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh! <laughs> And they meet every requirement, oh, don't wow. they? Oh my God. Moms are the best. 
Yeah, there's no pay. They're 24 hours. They're always there. Now I'm thinking about my mom. Yeah, and what are you thinking about her? I'm thinking about all those nights and everything. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know it doesn't seem like I appreciate all of it, but I definitely do. So, Mom, I want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I love you very much. You've been there through thick and thin. My mom is just awesome. She's awesome. Okay, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with these types of videos because they're so great and then they're selling you a greeting card. <laughs> My, come on. Uh, anyway, but as we saw in the video, sometimes when we verbalize what's really happening in our lives, we can see how impossible things seem. And the thing is, we're not meant to do it alone, the hard, impossible work. Whatever work you have before us, God is wanting to be a part of doing that alongside you. And here's what's interesting. Look at this impossible stuff that's happening. Um, back in verse 3, they're talking, is this... Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. And then it says in verse five, he could not do any miracles there. Could, I mean, think about that. He could not do any miracles there. And, you're, and I'm thinking as I stop right there, I'm going, Jesus couldn't? What? God of the universe, we have all these naysayers, unbelievers, them saying, isn't this the little carpenter boy? And here's the thing, maybe you face this in your work. Maybe you've transitioned into a leadership role that people don't think you're ready for. Maybe you've had a boss trying to keep you in your role through mediocre reviews that aren't true or blocking you from transferring to another department. Maybe you didn't think you could be a parent. Maybe you still think you can't do that. Whatever it is, there's always going to be naysayers, there's always going to be doubters, there's going to be people that can't look past what used to be and make you believe it's impossible for you. I mean, that's happening to Jesus right here. But here's what's amazing. What's amazing is the next word in verse 5. The next word in verse 5 is accept. He could not do any miracles there except. You might want to underline that in your Bible or our Bibles it seems as if it's impossible except when Jesus is in the situation, except when you let God into your work, except when you let God help you in your imperating, except when you let God into your life and start to lead. You see, Jesus is the Lord of exception. We are blind except Jesus comes to help us see. We are lost except Jesus came to find us. We are slave to sin except Jesus came to set us free. We were on a path towards death, except Jesus came to the cross to give us life. Our work may seem impossible, but Jesus is there to help break through. And our work may seem unimportant, but Jesus is our hope to redefine it. And finally, because of Jesus' work as Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, there's healing when your work or your life is in ruins. There's healing when your work or your life is in ruins. We're reminded in these verses, the rest of that verse, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus is the healer. He's capable of doing incredible, incredible things. I always think of 
Jesus the healer in these incredible passages like uh, raising Lazarus from the dead or raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And when I look at that, see, maybe you're in a situation right now, maybe you've lost your job, maybe you're feeling disoriented in your purpose in retirement, maybe the job you have seems just unredeemable and impossible, or maybe you just feel on a never-ending hamster wheel you can't get off, but the truth in scripture that the God who can raise people from the dead can reveal and heal your work situation. Just like Michelangelo can reveal the statue from in, within the stone, Jesus can heal and reveal the solution to your mess. And, and what I've found in many ca- cases where I have messes in, in work and relationships is that they're messes of my own making. And sometimes God needs to reveal things in me that are, are deforming me away from him, his image. And, and what I mean by that is being shaped, deformed, away from the image of God. And I'll use a miniature example of this, but in being a parent, um, I'll be making sandwiches or lunches or food for the kids and the decisions I make for who gets what for dinner, uh, what fork or spoon sizes they have preferences towards, the particularities they have. But here's one thing that when I'm cooking, I can take the better looking piece of meat because I'm the adult and I know their ignorance of it. I can take the egg that still has the runny yolk and give them the overcooked egg. But here's the thing, those little decisions like that can actually form us in the wrong direction. They can be deforming practices in our life. Am I teaching myself to give less effort, less intention, and keep the better and best for myself, especially when no one will really know? This can deform us into selfish thinking, ways we need healing. Jesus to come into those situations. Let me give you another example of these deforming practices. I've mentioned Dallas Willard already. He was a professor of philosophy on the West Coast for a long time and in one of his classes, a student was challenging him and with these statements that were both kind of offensive but also incorrect. And it was towards the end of the class and Dallas just said, let's pause right there, that's a good place to end and Everyone's kind of like, what? So someone came up to him afterwards and goes, why didn't you correct him, put him in his place? I mean, you're the professor. Why Why didn't you do that? It would have been easy for you. We've seen you do it. And his response was, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. See, as the professor, he was the leader, the expert. He could have had the last word. He could have put this person in his place, but he had seen that that was doing something in him that was building pride and arrogance in his own opinion, his own thinking. And so he made an intentional effort to not have the last word even when it was difficult to do so. He saw that there was a deforming practice of having the last word and he reordered it. He let Jesus come in, reveal and heal this part of his work. And it's amazing how when we can take just little simple things like that and put them under the stewardship of Jesus, God begins to transform us. We're shaped into the image of God rather than into the image of work or that thing we put as most important. We need to bring God's heavenly intention into the earthly reality. And so this week, you might be thinking, well, what should I do about this? How should this affect my daily work? Well. This is what I would say, pick something really simple and regular. 
like a regular task you do. Something like, maybe it's just making coffee at your home or the office. Maybe it's your Monday morning email catch-up. Maybe it's making lunches for the kids. But take this task and imagine Jesus doing it with you. Imagine how Jesus would do it if it were his work, his task, his job. As, as he split and sanded the wood as a carpenter, he makes the coffee. He sends the email. He makes the lunch. And as he worshiped and glorified his father in it, we do the same. And we talk to God as we do it. Uh, here's an, we, we reflect the image of God when we do this, and one of those ways I love is um, Tish Harrison Ward in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, highlights this idea, and she says this, in the creation story, God entered chaos and made order and beauty. In making my bed, I reflected that creative act in the tiniest, most ordinary way. In my small chaos, I made small order. My small chaos, I made small order. So this will bring simple tasks into greater worship. This will bring Jesus into helping you when things seem difficult or impossible. And this will bring Jesus into spots that need healing and shaping and forming us into his image. So pick a simple task this week and do it alongside Jesus. But here's, here's the next question as we move towards the end is what would it look like if our tasks, mundane, menial, seemingly meaningless, were transformed into these worship-filled, heaven-infused moments of meaning. We'd be bringing the glimpse of this beautiful work that will continue into eternity right now into our current reality. Our spouse, children, neighbor, and coworker would get a glimpse of the creative and redeeming work of God seeing both Jesus as Christ and carpenter, bringing heaven onto earth. So helping our world see that their need is for Jesus and how Jesus speaks to every area of our life. It gives a vision of eternity. And if, again, if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, believing in his work on the cross and he's risen from the dead, to make you a new person, a new creation, make that decision today. Make that decision by following Jesus with every day of your life, starting today. It is the most important decision any of us make. And it's that amazing work of Jesus on the cross, redeeming us from our sins, bringing the hope, help, and healing that we need that we actually celebrate together every time we get together through communion. I wanna invite you to take out the elements, and uh, if you didn't grab some, there are some right outside the doors on the back, and you could go grab those. Um, Communions for those who have, have given their lives to Christ. And the scripture tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me.
Father, we thank you so much that you love us, you see us, that you care not only about our eternal destination, but you care about this current moment. You care about our work, our relationships. God, thank you for making a way for us to know you and be with you now and forever through Jesus and his work. God, I pray for those that are still on the fence with you, that you just be working on their heart right now. Help them see the beauty of who you are, the truth of who you are. Father, I also pray for all of us with whatever was in our minds and our hearts as we talked about work today, would you just guide us into how we should respond to help us all be formed into your image. Father, we love you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.